Hello, and welcome to Black Pitch, a podcast about music and pop culture. In this series, we will be exploring popular protest songs by Black artists and the context that surrounds them. That includes, but is not limited to, social movements, crime, activism, politics, and the events that inspired the songs. We will be exploring these songs sonically and analyzing them academically. So sit back and enjoy the ride as we examine Songs of the Noir from the 70s, The End of Civil Rights, Black Liberation, and the Start of the Revolution. In the last episode, we discussed three popular songs from the civil rights era. Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday, Mississippi Goddamn by Nina Simone, and A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. Picking up where we left off in the late 60s, I am going to begin this episode with James Brown's protest song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. This song was released in 68 after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. According to Brown's close friend and activist, Reverend Al Sharpton, the song was written after Brown witnessed a group of black people fighting in Los Angeles. Seeing the violence among his people made him think to himself, we've lost our pride, and then he went back to his hotel room and wrote the lyrics on a napkin. Along with expressing black pride, the lyrics also urged black people to continue to fight the power and stand up against injustice, a message that was important to spread as the civil rights movement was winding down. Through his lyrics, James Brown reminds his community to continue to fight for the rights they deserve and to do so proudly. This song was necessary at this time because despite the successes that were seen with the Montgomery bus boycott, the Children's Crusade in Birmingham, and the protest against disenfranchisement in Selma, Prejudice against blackness remained constant. This prejudice and racism led many black people to believe that their blackness was wrong because being called black was an insult and was often used as a way to degrade African-Americans with darker complexions. Lighter skinned African-Americans tried to distance themselves from their blackness by joining in and insulting their darker counterparts while referring to themselves as brown instead. This contributed to self-hatred and colorism within the black community. James Brown's Say It Loud reminded black people to fight against this unjust treatment and these racist notions and to be proud of who they are. In the lyrics, Brown urges listeners to continue to stand up for their rights and keep fighting against inequality until equal rights are obtained. He sings... In the lyrics, Brown also encourages the black community to make their own business ventures to stop working under the oppressor. Brown has expanded into some business adventures at this time, which syncs with what he sings in the second verse. The song shot to the top of the Billboard magazine Rhythm and Blues singles chart and stayed there for six weeks, proving that protest music could be commercially successful. 
Although other artists created music that explored racism and injustice within the black community, James Brown was one of the first artists to preach about black self-acceptance and self-love. The song was and still is often associated with the Black is Beautiful movement, which was a cultural movement started by African Americans that aimed to dispel the belief that black people's natural features were inherently ugly. The main goal of the movement was to empower and uplift the black community by normalizing features such as afros, dark complexions, broad noses, full lips, as well as the voluptuous female figure. It also worked to counteract the racist notion in American culture that features typical of black people were less attractive or desirable than those of white people. The Black is Beautiful movement was based around a fight for an equal perception of the black body to help undo all the negative ideas brought about by a history based in white supremacy. Who taught you to hate the color of your skin? Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. You should ask yourself who taught you to hate being what God gave you. The movement was also closely connected to the natural hair movement, which encouraged black people, especially women, to wear natural hairstyles. Through this song, Brown was able to preach to the black community that we are allowed to be proud of our history and proud of who we are, while simultaneously telling white people that we would not be ashamed of ourselves. Chuck D, a public enemy, who was eight years old when the song was released, said in the documentary, Mr. Dynamite, The Rise of James Brown, I remember defining myself as these American terms of Negro to colored to black. Because of that one song, black was beautiful. It was the beginning of beautiful. Brown recorded the track live with a group of children from Los Angeles who answered the phrase, say it loud, with I'm black and I'm proud. This use of call and response style was utilized at Brown's live shows and inspired a generation of funk. Its usage also perfectly complemented the message of the song as a callback to the popular element of African music. Call and response has roots in traditional African music as well as African American history as enslaved Africans brought call and response music with them to the new world. Call and response is widely present in parts of the Americas touched by the transatlantic slave trade as well. Along with inspiring Chuck D, the song had an impact on hip-hop music in multiple ways. Its upbeat percussion, pound and rhythm, paired with its intense verbal attacks, provided a preface for hip-hop, and it was later sampled by Eric B. and Rakim. Big Daddy Kane. LL Cool J. and two live crew. The song was recorded at Vox Studios, a spacious, well-known studio in California. Due to this large space, the band was able to set up like they would if they were going to do a live performance, and they watched Brown for cues, capturing the fun, liveliness, and spontaneity that gave their music energy. 
It drew elements from multiple genres that are often seen as black, such as soul, funk, and jazz. Although the song was well received by audiences and became a highlight at Brown's live gigs, he was concerned with how its message was being interpreted. Brown wrote in his autobiography, The song is obsolete now, but it was necessary to teach pride then, and I think the song did a lot of good for a lot of people. I certainly agree that this song was needed in 1968, but it is not by any means obsolete. In fact, it may be even more important for black kids to hear this song today. James Brown also wrote that people called black and proud, militant and angry, maybe because of the line about dying on your feet instead of living on your knees. But really, if you listen to it, it sounds like a children's song, according to Brown. That's why I had children in it, he wrote, so children who heard it could grow up feeling pride. The song cost me a lot of my crossover audience. The racial makeup at my concerts was mostly black after that. I don't regret it though, even if it was misunderstood. In conducting research for this series, I found that a few academics criticized lyrics for being overly simple. However, Brown wrote his lyrics in a way that would be easy and also powerful for young black children to hear. He did not need to overcomplicate a song that was written to be an anthem for black children by writing lyrics that express the complexities of racism and inequality. Making her second appearance in this series, I would like to discuss Nina Simone's 1970 song, To Be Young, Gifted, and Black. In the last section, I talked about how James Brown's Say It Loud did not need to be complex, as it was an anthem for black children to sing. Nina Simone, however, went in the opposite direction when creating her anthem for black youth by making it undoubtedly complex. Simone's work on stage and within the civil rights movement is often overlooked, but her musical presence and activism signaled an adjustment of the place of black women in both spaces. If you're interested in learning more about Simone's activism, check out Shauna Redman's book, Anthem, Social Movements and the Sound of Solidarity in the African Diaspora. After the success and attention of Mississippi Goddamn, Simone continued to create meaningful protest music that spoke to her black audience. I think what you're trying to ask is, uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it in the first place. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them.
and I will do it by whatever means necessary. Prior to To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, her song For Women, which I would highly recommend listening to, explores the identities of black women by uncovering America's unsavory past rooted in slavery. My skin is black. My arms are long. Four women spoke to an important turning point in the development of black feminism and demonstrated Simone's understanding of, in her own words, that the fight for civil rights had been around since slavery days. I felt more alive then than I feel now because I, I was needed and I could sing um, something to help my people. And that became the mainstay of my life. That became most important to me, not classical piano, not classical music, not even popular music, but civil rights movement uh, music. However, we are here to discuss her song, To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, which was made the Black National Anthem in 1971. Nina Simone wrote this song with a poet named Weldon Irvine, who contributed lyrics. Author Lorraine Hansberry, famous for her play, A Raisin in the Sun, was an inspiration for the song. After her death in 1965, a collection of her works was published under the title To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, which was also made into an off-Broadway play. Simone wrote the song to honor Hansberry's memory, as the two had been very close, and Hansberry had acted almost as a mentor for Simone and helped to guide Simone's journey with black activism. Simone told co-writer Irvine that she wanted lyrics that will make black children all over the world feel good about themselves forever which proved to be a tall order for Irvine, but he rose to the occasion with the lyrics. The song solidified the transition from the civil rights movement of Mississippi Goddamn to the militant and often nationalist perspective of organizations like the Congress of Racial Equality, also known as CORE, a powerhouse that worked towards equality and adjusted to meet the demands of the black power movement. At a CORE conference, the organization decided to adopt to be young, gifted, and black as the black national anthem. Just to give you some background, Black nationalism seeks to develop and maintain a black racial and national identity. Black nationalist activism revolves around the social, political, and economic empowerment of black communities and people, especially in resisting assimilation into white culture.
culture and maintaining a distinct black identity. While the black power movement that thrived in the late 60s and 70s argued that black Americans should focus on creating economic, social, and political power of their own rather than seek integration into white dominated society. If you're interested in learning more, I would recommend checking out the Oxford African American Studies Center's photo essay, Black Nationalism and Independence Movements, as well as The Foundations of Black Power from the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Fairly black nationalist in its objectives, Corps of 1971 fully believed in Simone's ability to represent them and their movement by declaring her song as their anthem. This act served to replace the decades-old use of James Weldon and J. Rosamond Johnson's Lift Every Voice and Sing as the Negro National Anthem. The change from Negro to Black highlighted the important identity wars that were waged in the 50-year period between the adoption of these two pieces. Through this new anthem, the community was saying that this new Black nation was radically different than any past iteration. This was represented by their militant approach and deep connection to their African roots. Simone made it clear that her goal was to make music that was an inspiration. As she said in an interview, An artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to reflect the times. I think that is true of, of, of painters, sculptors, poets, musicians. I, it's for some concern, it's their choice. But I choose to reflect the times and the situations in which I find myself. That to me is my duty. I, and, and at this crucial time in our lives, when everything is so desperate, when every day is a matter of survival, I don't think you can help but be involved. Young people, black and white, know this. That's why they're so involved in politics. We will shape and mold this country or it will not be molded and shaped at all anymore. So I don't think you have a choice. How can you be an artist and not reflect the time? And just as she'd hoped, to be young, gifted, and black did more than inspire. Through its composition and performance, to be young, gifted, and black signaled a new phase of black liberation struggles in part, built by the work and the friendship of two unique women in Simone and Hansberry. Moving in a slightly different direction, but still focusing on the message of black liberation, I'd like to bring attention to a song that specifically addressed the beginning of the end of the civil rights era. Activist and performer Gil Scott Herons 
famous epic poem song, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, was released in 1971. It approached protest music in an entirely new way, with its wide-ranging references to pop culture and politics, encompassing both national affairs and consumer culture, and its direct jabs at white America. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. Revolution, as it has been shortened to, was an inspirational tune and a call to action for the black community to stay focused on social justice efforts, even when mainstream attention moved on. It also brought awareness to the ambitions of the movement that hadn't been achieved yet, as it seemed to say, there is still much to be done. Along with being a rallying cry for black folks, the song resonated with other people because it communicated the message that mainstream media cannot be trusted as an accurate source of information because it chooses what it wants to show us. Scott Heron also wanted to make another point with this song. You can't see the revolution on TV because you can't see the revolution at all. As he said in a 1990s interview, Well, you know, the, the, the catchphrase, what that was all about, uh, the revolution will not be televised, that was about the fact that the first change that takes place is in your mind. You have to change your mind before you change the way you live and the way you move. So when we said that the revolution would not be televised, we were saying that like that, that, that the thing that's going to change people is something that no one will ever be able to capture on film. It'll just be something that you see and all of a sudden you realize, I'm on the wrong page. Or I'm on the right page, but I'm on the wrong note. And I've got to get in sync with everyone else to understand what's happening in this country. Uh -huh. But I think that the black Americans have been the, the, the only real diehard Americans here because we, we're the only ones who, who've carried the process through the process. That everyone else has to sort of like skip stages. We're the ones who marched, we're the ones who carried the Bible, we're the ones who carried the flag, we're the ones who tried to go through the courts. And, 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 and being born American didn't, didn't seem to matter because we were born Americans, but we still had to fight for what we were looking for. And we still had to go through those channels and those processes. And it still doesn't, as we see in the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain, and so many before them, and in the severe injuries and deaths from unconstitutional, military-grade police escalations nationwide since. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail. For the recording of his work, Scott Heron read his powerful sentiments, insightful commentary, and rhythmic but non-rhyming stanzas in a deep, resonating voice that remained somewhat detached the entire time. During the reading, he was accompanied by pounding congas and bongo drums, which added a vibrance to the recording that made it both beatnik and connected to African roots. The poem takes aim at mass consumerism, product placement, some highly rated, low-rent entertainment, and generic pop music that was being produced for the masses. He also points out that mindless TV shows will no longer be of importance. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from the Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. 
revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. The revolution will not be televised, use references specific to the culture of the early 70s, but captured a long-standing theme Americans were witnessing during this historical moment. Staying committed to movements even when they are not front and center in the headlines. Outside of the context of what was happening in the 70s, the song still manages to live on and influence people. The title, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, has been continuously referenced, repeated, and co-opted across the spectrum by politicians, historians, musicians, activists, and others espousing the role that the media plays in publicizing, promoting, or preventing social trends, and even uprisings. Similar to James Brown and Say It Loud, Scott Heron also hugely impacted hip-hop music. By the time of his death, with his long history of melding spoken word passages with music and of including brutal social commentary from a black perspective in his lyrics. Scott Heron had been anointed as one of the godfathers of rap. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. And now for some honorable mentions. These are songs that could have made it into the podcast, but unfortunately did not. However, I still wanted to incorporate them. First, we have Curtis Mayfield's Don't Worry If There's a Hell Below, We're All Going to Go released in 1970. Curtis Mayfield established himself as a key figure of the 60s civil rights movement with the inspiring songs he recorded with the impressions. But in his 1970 debut solo album, he tackled social issues with a much harder edge. Don't worry if there's a hell below, we're all going to go, is a warning about American race relations. In this song, Mayfield conveys the idea that if we as a society don't get our act together, then all hell will break loose. Next, we have Get Up, Stand Up by Bob Marley and the Whalers, released in 1973. This song is about taking action to avoid oppression. Marley wrote it with Peter Tosh, and the song was influenced by their upbringing in Jamaica, where they had to fight for respect and acceptance of their Rastafarian religion. The music is based on the song Slippin' Into Darkness by the band War. The lyrics urge the audience to continue to fight for their rights and not to give up. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right Get up, stand up Stand up for your right Get up, stand up Stand up for your right 
Next, we have Fight the Power by the Isley Brothers, released in 1975. This song is often thought of as being about the black experience. However, Fight the Power is more of a general statement on rising above the powers that be. The song was born in a 1975 recording session in which guitarist Ernie Isley, inspired by the news, wrote two songs, one of them being Fight the Power. The song reflected a negative opinion of authority figures, a feeling shared by all of the band members, which explains the intense vocalizing by Ron, Rudy, and Kelly. Later, the trio added in the background chant, Fight It, to merge with the brothers' vocal ad-libbing near the end. Fight the Power also features Ron Isley singing the word bullshit, which was a very bold choice at the time. The song influenced Public Enemy's 80s hit by the same name. Next, we have Marvin Gaye's Inner City Blues Make Me Wanna Holla, released in 1971. This is a mellow bluesy funk song written by Marvin Gaye and James Nix Jr. that depicts the ghettos and bleak economic situations of inner city America and the emotional effects it has on its inhabitants. Thank you for coming along for the ride, and I'll see you in the next episode.